you don't have questions about the last book in the Bible, that's questionable. Welcome to Right Start with Jim Custer, teaching pastor of Grace Polaris Church in Columbus, Ohio. In this series, we've asserted that Revelation isn't as difficult to understand as most of us have thought. But we have to recognize its structure, and we must use God's frame of reference for what we find in its pages. And after reading it with those guidelines, we still expect to have some questions. Here's the rest of our Q&A session with Jim. Are the two witnesses in any way to be considered as heralds prior to Jesus' event? Answer, yes. Flat out, yes. 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 Now that question focuses on something that God thinks is so important that he put it in his word. And that's why we have that prophecy about the two witnesses. And we have the promise, the last verse of the Old Testament, that Elijah would come. Jesus talked about Elijah, compared him and contrasted him with John the Baptist, and ended up that discussion by saying, John did the work that Elijah will do in the future, and Elijah will himself come. And the best illustration we have of that would be to read and study the two witnesses who appear during the first three and a half years of the tribulation period. And those two witnesses are not named in Scripture, but the miracles that are attributed to them and the impact that they have on the world, largely through their impact in the Jewish people, and the temple worship there, and probably the conversion of the 144,000 who then become witnesses, the Jewish witnesses, 12,000 from each of the tribes. You see, we have a lot of detail about those things because they're part of the backbone of God's promise to the world. The promise that Messiah would come through the descendant of Abraham, the promise that Messiah would be killed and that he would return again. Those promises are repeated often in the prophets of the Old Testament. All of those prophets, far as I can remember, all of those prophets were Jewish. They were Israeli. And they were prophesying about God's promises, his basic promises, his basic covenant to Abraham, Isaac, through that promises that would be fulfilled through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob slash Israel. Because they are in that venue, then we can expect Scripture to speak to those issues. Now, having said all of that, prophecy is not going to give us all the answers to our questions because we are coming to these questions from a Gentile perspective we are coming to these questions from a generation of people 2,000 years after Messiah finished his first work and went back to heaven. We are coming to these questions from a global perspective, meaning we are far more aware of economics and wars and decisions and treaties and all those things that take place in our world, and we wonder if those things give us any indication of how soon Jesus is going to take 
his church, the bride home, and initiate that 70th week of Daniel? That's the question we're pursuing. What's well, the 70th week of Daniel? Meaning it's the fulfillment of that 70th period of sevens, seven years. And Daniel was told about it back there in chapter 9. Jesus spoke about it. And it becomes a cornerstone for all that God tells us about the future. So all of our study in Scripture are going to take us back to those Israeli moorings, to those promises of God to and through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Back to those things which are the heart and soul of, of the uh, Scriptures. That's why... I want to start to unpack with you the gospel of Matthew. I think there's a lot in Matthew that we've just kind of set aside. A lot of our questions are anticipated by Matthew. And sometimes, sometimes we want to impose upon Matthew and sometimes upon John, we want to impose upon them constructs that really aren't there. Let me say it this way. When God made promise to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, he set in motion his plan for the redemption of the world. He set in motion his plan for a salvation that would be available to whosoever will come. But the instruments, the instruments in accomplishing those plans are not Gentile. They're Jewish. And so in Scripture, Jewish, by that I mean Israeli, so in Scripture, you're going to find a constant focus upon God and his promises to the Israelis. And that then becomes the key that unlocks the schedule for God's future events. That's one of the reasons why it is absolutely foolish to try to set a date for the rapture. Because the church is not locked into that sequence. The 70th week of Daniel is not for the church. The 70th week of Daniel is a seven-year period that will complete a 70 years plan that God told Daniel about. 69 of those years already passed. You'll hear this again when we get to, to um, Matthew. That's the first thing we got to do when we get into Matthew is start dealing with whose time schedule are you on. And you're going to be amazed that you probably have never thought about that question. But there are four different calendars that Matthew deals with. Four different calendars. And my guess is, my guess is maybe none of you have thought through the fourth and most important calendar that's driving Matthew. But it is critical, here's my point, 
it's critical that we not impose scripture into our timeframes. It's critical that we read scripture and let it stand on its own and then understanding what scripture says, ask the question, okay, has God said anything to us that is affected by this schedule that he has? Can I have three more minutes? Uh, turn with me quickly to the book of Daniel. And this is just an illustration. I hope an effective one. In Daniel chapter 11, Daniel is being given a step-by-step, person-by-person, king-by-king, event-by-event outline of history in the Middle East from the time of the rise of the Persian Empire all the way down, all the way down, all the way down, all the way down to Antichrist. And the ultimate consummation of human history. It is a phenomenal book. Now there's a lot of Gentile history that's not going to be included there. But if you take the 11th chapter of Daniel and do your homework, your mind is just going to explode about how much detail God gave the children of Israel about their history through Daniel written several hundred years before those events actually came to pass. Now there's a reference in there, for instance, to, uh, uh, what was her name? Cleopatra. You'll meet Cleopatra in here. She's introduced years before she was born. And there's other interesting people that make up that 400 years of history, from roughly from the time of Daniel's death, all the way down through, all the way down through, all the way down through, all the way down to the crucifixion of Jesus. That's amazing. But you gotta take it for what it says. And then you gotta ask the question, if that's what God had planned for the nations, for the world to experience, where does the rest of his program fit in? And that's what you get when it's interrupted in verse 36. Notice verse 36. Then the king will do whatever he wants. He will exalt and magnify himself above every god, and he will say outrageous things against the God of gods. He will be successful until the time of wrath is completed, because what has been decreed will be accomplished. He will not show regard for the gods of his father, the god longed for by women, or for any other god, because he will magnify himself above all. Instead, he will honor a god of fortresses, a god his fathers did not know, with gold, silver, precious stones, and riches. 
He will deal with the strongest fortresses with the help of a foreign god. He will greatly honor those who acknowledge him, making them rulers over many and distributing land as a reward. At the time of the end, and you can read the rest of it, who is this person? My goodness, there's a dozen verses there to describe it. He is a person unique to human history. Later in the New Testament, he is called Antichrist. In other passages in Daniel, he's revealed as a beast. We have all this information given to us from verse 36 all the way down through verse 39. All, actually, all the way down through the end of the chapter. You got, you got a dozen verses about this individual. Why? Because this individual is going to rise up and he's going to do some unbelievable stuff. And God wants Daniel's people to anticipate him. He wants to use this passage to get them back into chapter 2 of Daniel's prophecy and into chapter 7 and 8 and 9 and 10, 11. To do what? God wants his people to know that the future is going to be radically impacted by someone who's going to rise up who is absolutely, totally anti-God and who will preach and practice an elevated worship of himself that is unique in all of history. And this person will have a special relationship with a foreign god. He will honor a god of fortune. You can go on and read. Now, what this verse is telling us is, what this verse is telling us that in the future, God has planned and anticipated this person's rise in human history. We don't get to vote on it. Whether you like it or not, God's not that concerned. But he's telling all of us that there's a time out there in the future, he calls it at the time of the end. And he tells us that there is an end to, to human history on this earth. And that at that time of that end, there's going to be this very, very wicked, wild, terribly corrupt, demonically impacted person who's going to dominate the world. Now, that's not the president of the United States. That's not Winston Churchill. It's not Hitler. Not Mussolini. Now, why would God do that? God is trying to impress upon us, and I'll say it this way, we who are Gentiles, God is trying to impress upon us that his timing, his calendar, his schedule for the events of earth are keyed to his chosen people who are the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. You forget that 
and you're lost in scripture. And when you want to study prophecy, you must, you must settle in your heart that you got to get in sync with what God's doing to the Jewish people. For the Jewish people, by that I mean the, the Israelis. Now, you may not like that. You, 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 you may think that's anathema. But my dear friend, you will, not, you will not make any sense. There will not be any rhyme or reason to the prophecies that God has given to us. And some estimate that one out of every four verses when it is written in Scripture or spoken and recorded in Scripture was prophetic. One in four. Very, very few of them, very few of them have to do with Gentiles. And what it has to do with Gentiles, it has to do with Gentiles' treatment of Israelis or God's response to Gentiles who mistreat his covenant people. Does that mean that I'm a, a Zionist? Not really. It means I'm a Biblicist. It means that I have chosen to bend my stiff neck and my proud hillbilly neck and say, you know what, God? It's your world. You know what? You're in charge. I'm just grateful you've given us these projected pictures of realities that are going to happen. And when those realities happen, I'll know how I should respond. So to close the book of the Revelation, remember Jesus is the subject. It's a personal book about Jesus. It's a book designed to give us the future outworking of Jesus' career. And Jesus is Jewish. As a matter of fact, if Jesus is not Jewish, he cannot be your Savior. So as we close the book of the Revelation at this time, please remember that. Please remember that. Don't carry things into the book of the Revelation that are not there and then complain about being confused. The things that are there are all directly tied into things previously spoken in the other 65 books of the Bible. And the primary message of the 66 books of the Bible centers on God's covenant promise to a man we call Abraham and his descendant Isaac and his descendant Jacob. And they were not perfect people, but they were God's choice. Since he's God, I suppose we've got to let him have his way. And Father, we do tonight, we thank you for the uh, incredible messages in Daniel and in Zechariah and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and 1st and 2nd Thessalonians and 
the book of the Revelation, it goes on and on and on and on. That you are a God faithful to your covenant promises. And when we who are Gentiles by flesh, strangers to the covenant, outside the provisions of the blessings of the covenant, when we're invited into the blessings that Messiah Jesus would provide for whosoever will, oh, Father, we should be grateful. We should be humble. We should be attentive. We should suck up all we can. Teach us to read the prophets as Jewish prophets, largely speaking to Jewish people about God's promises to them and their failures to walk in light of his promises. Thank you, Father, for these last uh, couple of months. Thank you for the things you've showed us from your word. Thank you for the insight you've given to many of the folks in the room tonight and their willingness to share those insights with me. I'm richer for it. Thank you for the privilege of, um, of having a copy of your word to read it for ourselves and study. Thank you for the absolute assurance that what you promised, you will do. Father, we're headed into some uh, very turbulent times. And we thank you that we can trust you for your mercy, your faithfulness, your grace. Thank you for the assurance that when you dish out the judgment, you promised you would take your bride home first. And we're deeply grateful. Help us as we live in these days of stress to live in the light of your glorious hope and your incredible promises. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God's people should be watching for both Christ and the Antichrist. And we have a template for assessing which is which provided to us in the Revelation. That book has been our study for a few weeks now. Yesterday and today, we've listened to a closing Q&A session with Jim that he calls The Consummation. Ask for that title to get the message on CD. We'll send it for a gift of $7 or more. The series just ended is called With John on the Isle of Patmos, and those nine CDs can be yours for an offering of $34 or more. I'll tell you how you can order those next. Thank you if you're part of the Right Start Ministry family. You regular folks are the ones who do the heavy lifting of praying and giving so that many others can hear these messages without obligation. We're all blessed through you. Thanks. If you'd like to do your part, mail us at Right Start, P.O. Box 437, Worthington, Ohio, 43085, USA, or call us at 1-800-984-2313. That's 800-984-2313. Now, a way to give and to receive is to visit rightstartradio.org. Whether you want to donate securely, review programs in our library, 
or have the show delivered to your mobile device daily as an Apple podcast, you can. If you'd rather hear the full sermons without the broadcast edits, you can download those or play them from the site, which is rightstartradio.org. And we won't spam you when you reach out to us, rightstartradio.org. Thanks for listening. I'm Dan Pope. Where to next, Dan, you ask? Well, we'll open a very different book from the same author, the Apostle John. And it's just as astonishing in its own way as the Revelation. Please join us tomorrow for another Right Start. Right Start.